Hey everybody, it's Autumn. I'm jumping here at the start of jumping in here at the start of the episode. This is my third take, so we're not doing another. Um, to just do a content warning for this episode. Um, the Serini chapter in this book has some rape jokes. Um, I kind of like read a passage out loud and we discuss it. It's um, pretty gross. Uh, I don't think it's like over the top intense that people like won't be able to handle it, but I just wanted to like it is a there these jokes are in the episode and I wanted to give people a heads up, especially if they haven't maybe read the chapter yet. Um so yeah. Um on to the episode. Uh shout out to Kevin McLeod for the music. Arcanum, a podcast about exploring the Cosmere of Brandon Sanderson. I'm Nora, I'm joined by Autumn. I'm Autumn, and I'm joined by Tilly. Hey, hi, I'm Tilly. Um, <laughs> book. Book? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's the podcast. <laughs> Alright, sign it off. <laughs> you go first, because you're shorter. I'm taller than you. <laughs> Do you think this is a game? <laughs> um, so listeners, as you know by now, we talk about books we've read every week. I have read, I think I mentioned this last time, uh, I finished Universal Harvester by John Darneal of Mountain Goats fame. I think I mentioned last time that like this is a much less ambitious book, and I don't think that stays true. Through the end, I think the book gets a little sprawling and gets away from him a little bit. Uh, but if you like, like, mysteries about dark secrets in, for example, Iowan towns or perhaps Nebraskan towns or really any rural part of the country, Universal Harvester is a very good book. There's, like, nothing to say about it, you know? <laughs> it is. I, I think... There are a million books like it. I think that you, um, I, I, I feel like I've heard you talk about your, when you said it was like a less ambitious book, you meant less ambitious than, um, Wolf in White Van? That's what his previous book is called? Yes. Yeah. Um, so Wolf in White Van was a book, um, about, like, Wolf in White Van is kind of like a really intense, like, psychological profile of like one character um who has a lot of like just a lot of interesting things going on in his life and weird things and dark things um he runs a like play by post rpg game where like you'll mail you'll mail him uh what you want to do and he'll mail you like like you'll you'll mail him a letter that says um i go west and he'll mail you a things like to your west, you see a vast landscape um, and like a shovel or something. I don't know. Like it's a and it's an adventure game that you're playing by mail. That's kind of interesting. And um, Darnell in in both of these books 
and in a lot of his music uh, is concerned very much with like the age like the the late 90s and early 2000s as like cell phones like universal harvester is a book where cell phones exist but it's kind of weird when a character has one you know Mm -hmm. um and so universal harvester is very much a book about um dying rural towns in iowa and um like like the main character uh works at a video store and the entire plot is driven by his job at a video store um it's very hard to i guess i should describe like if i was going to just pitch someone on reading this book instead of just like reviewing it in the weird way that i do um Universal Harvester is a book about a 20-something um, who lost his mother a few years ago. His He and his dad live together um, and are in kind of a very, like, static rhythm um, as they both, like, try to, like, as they both don't process tra- the trauma of losing their mother and wife of just, like, we are just going to live the same life every single day, like, do the same things. Um, and one day, like, he, the protagonist, um, Jeremy, takes a video home from the video store and sees, like, some, it's like, I think she's all that? And, like, someone has spliced onto the videotape, uh, a bunch of, like, weird, like, scenes that creep everybody out, and so, um, like, he starts, like, showing it to other people in town that he works with, and they try to figure out this mystery of, like, why are these like disturbing scenes getting spliced onto these videotapes for some reason? And the book kind of sprawls out more and more as you introduce like more and more characters get introduced and like it will jump ahead 10 years or jump back 10 years. And it gets a little, it gets a little out of hand, I think, but it's all kind of, it's all a pretty simple thing of like, why are these videotapes weird? (laughs) Nice. Marble Marble Hornets. Hornets. A little Marble Hornets, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Um Yeah, I uh I had I had heard like some stuff about uh John Darnielle's writing that didn't make it very appealing to me. Just um I mean mostly just because and and not this is still pretty clear in what you've been saying. It seems pretty bleak. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's incredibly bleak. Um, which is not bad. Like, there are some things that I enjoy sometimes that can be pretty bleak. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, that sounds like very, um, that description of, like, a relationship that is in stasis because neither of the people who are involved in it can really, like, confront their loss Mm -hmm. that's really like oof man that's compelling i but also like that's heavy yeah um universal harvester is a book where there is the car crash that happens before the book and then there are two more car crashes that happen in the book so it gets it gets dark um wolf and white van like Wolf and White Van is like 
really dark in a way that I maybe even don't want to like <laughs> bring into this conversation right now. Sure. Um, if you've listened to if you've listened to any Mountain Goats music, like you're probably familiar with the um, the exact type of bleakness that like Darniel is interested in. Is like a lot of these songs are about like people um, with drug addictions and like people in marriages that are falling apart and all of these sorts of things. Like his books feel like they are concerned with a lot of the same concerns that uh, his music's about. It's just that like, um, it's just a different medium, you know? <laughs> and you spend, you spend two to 300 pages. Like these are short ish books. Um, like you spend like two to 300 pages in them instead of a four minute song, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that like I I I do want to read this stuff, especially. I mean, I kind of particularly want to read Wolf and White Van just because I'm. I actually didn't know until you told me pretty recently about the like play by post element of it. Um, yeah, the that's what got me into the book, and it's absolutely not what people talk about because people just talk about how dark that book is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's definitely like I want to. I mean. It sounds really good. I want to read this guy's work. Also, I have this sort of specific interest that is almost, like, more documentary than anything else, you know? Like, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the reason, like, I, I assume that John Darniel played play-by-post games, or if he didn't actually play them himself, he must have known people who did. Or else why would he put I that in a book? I assume so. A, a lot of... A lot of his fiction writing, both musically and, uh, and in his novels, seems to draw from like a real life, like real life experiences. Like mm -hmm. he wrote a whole album, I think, about either Magic the Gathering or Dungeons and Dragons. Ah, um, uh, yeah. He has a novella that's about uh, someone who was living in a boys' home and like or a foster home for boys, and he never. He himself never lived there, but he worked at one of those places for several years. And so, like, the book draws on that. Mm -hmm. um, that book is not very good. We don't need to talk about that book. <laughs> God, I... Man. When did he record his magic and D&D themed? Or, like, what? It was after my... Because uh, I've been listening to the Mountain Goats for, like, five, six years Eh, maybe even longer than that. And it was like after my peak interest in them. Let me look. Um, I just feel like the vibes of recording an album about D&D &D have changed a lot in the last, like, ten years. He recorded it almost a year ago. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I get it. Like it, it came out April 2019. On some level, I get it because the man also made an album about WWE, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, so, like, he is clearly not <laughs> concerned that the art that he, like, draws on as inspiration for his music not be mm -hmm. fundamentally evil. And, like, I don't necessarily blame him in that sense on some level, but also, like, damn. I just wanted you to scroll down so I could see the track list. Oh, yeah. Um... Yeah, uh, I don't know how... I think... I 
I think Wizards of the Coast is involved in the making of his Dungeons and Dragons album, but I don't know how involved they are. And I- girls love a track called "Clemency for the Wizard King." <sighs> That's the fucking thing. <laughs> like, because what something I was about to say is that, like, I genuinely really do love the idea of a Mountain Goats album all about D and D. Like, I am not a huge Mountain Goats fan, but I have listened to some of the music, and I think it's good. And like, mm-hmm. I know about. I know that his aesthetic engagement with D&D, right, is not really going to be about the thing that D&D is in 2020. Um, yeah, I I imagine that this is mostly about either Advanced Dungeons & Dragons or, like, 3.5, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and not about 5th edition. I mean, they're all the... They're all very similar things. Well, yeah, so that's true. For me, it's not about... Because, like, yeah, the thing is, 3.5, extremely racist. Uh... Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. but but um the culture that existed of like playing three point five oh, also a deeply racist culture to be clear, but it's very uh-huh. very different <laughs> from the racist culture of mm-hmm. playing fifth edition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, just the world of tabletop games has changed a huge amount in that mm-hmm. time. Um, which is not to say. Yeah, I guess what what I am trying to say here is that I have, like, a lot of, like, 3.5 was, like, significant to my development as a person, but, like, also Dungeons and & Dragons and, like, Wizards of the Coast as a whole uh, is fucking evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this album uh, sounds I... pretty sick. I don't know. <laughs> I sure did spend two and a half years playing a 3.5 campaign from 1 to 20. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um... Yeah, I played a ninja the whole time. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Oh man! I'm trying to remember, because um, when I remember when he announced the Dungeons and Dragons album, what part of it the like the blog post that was there was like, I made an album about WWE. Do you all liked it? I made an album where every tr- uh, track is called a is named after a Bible verse, and you all liked it. Just trust me, you're gonna like the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> one. <laughs> I think so funny that he would feel like he had to sell people on the concept of Dungeons and Dragons in that way. Like, not saying that Dungeons and Dragons is like totally mainstream, everyone likes it. Like, I know that it's still a nerd thing. But it's like, mm-hmm. if you like the mountain goats, because the mountain goats are nerd shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> are you really like shocked by the concept of Dungeons and Dragons in 2019? That's really funny. Yeah. So what's the other thing you have to talk about for five minutes? Um, shut up. <laughs> That's ten, we did ten minutes on that. It's fine. Be nice to me. You I'm love me. Laughing and adore me. You said five minutes. <laughs> the other thing, <laughs> the other thing, I can only talk about for five minutes because I'm four chapters into it. I think because uh, I just started it today is uprooted uh, by Naomi Novik. Um. This has been sitting on my shelf for approximately two years when a friend of the show, Anna Landon, recommended it to me, um, and I just finally have started on it. It, um, the, the, like, one-line pitch that goes around for this book is that, like, it's kind of a classic fairy tale fantasy novel, but, um, you know, written from, like, an Eastern European Jewish perspective, um, which is interesting, um... I think I maybe just got to the end of, like, Act 1-ish. Uh, and basically, so far, um, 
There is an evil wizard who lives in a tower all by himself, except for every ten years he comes down from the tower and he picks a girl um, and she has to go live with him for ten years and they're the only people that live in the tower. Oh, um, and Wow, I whenever when that happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> whenever... Um, Whenever a girl leaves the tower, um, like, she's always, like, she never wants to go back to her home village. She's always, like, very moneyed, moneyed and haughty and, like, better than everybody. And she, like, will typically, like, leave her uh, small village to go live in the capital or go do adventures or something. And uh, kind of the thing that everybody knows is that... Um, like, the wizard always somehow knows the, like, most special girl in the land. And, um, our protagonist, um, her best friend growing up was Kasha. And everybody knew for years and years and years. Because these girls are picked when they're about 18, I think. Uh, everybody knew that Kasha was going to get picked. And so, like, the first chapter is just her being like, I was so ready for Kasha to get picked tomorrow. I was going to miss Kasha, but Kasha was definitely going to be the one that's chosen. But then, you'll never believe this, the point of view character is chosen instead. <laughs> what? You'll, you'll never believe this, but a full tactical riot squad burst in and shot the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it is revealed that he probably, that he... Uh, where I'm at in the book right now, which I think, like I say, is like the end of Act One, um, is just that, like, uh, he probably chose her because she has some aptitude as a witch that she did not know about until now. A word? Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because she's, she's, uh, not. Also, content warnings because, like, it's weird because. The wizard doesn't sexually assault her, mm -hmm. but someone does. And that is part of the scene that I'm in right now. I imagine that there will be a couple more content warnings throughout this book. It's kind of like an adult fantasy, sort of like, not too dark, but there's some darkness to it. In the way that, I guess, like, good fairy tales can be, oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, it, that, it doesn't surprise me to hear that there's been a sexual assault in this story, given that, like, it sounds like the whole premise of this wizard thing... Even though, you know, you said the wizard is not actually, like, threatening in that yeah. way. But but this whole thing where he takes girls he into his He kidnaps women. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it definitely has some um, vibes. But it's okay, because he keeps them all safe from the evil woods. We, uh, that is established, and then, like, cleverly has never come up again mm. that the woods are super evil and that he protects them from it, because I'm sure... Like some dark secrets about the woods are going to be revealed as we get into Act Two, you know. Oh, I hate it when dark secrets about the evil woods are revealed. <laughs> I almost hate it as much as when an ancient evil awakens. Damn. God. There is a sequel to this book, but I'm not sure um, if there are more sequels planned after that. Like, I don't know. Um, Ten books. Yeah, Ten I'm gonna. Books, baby. <laughs> I'm gonna go read Naomi Novik's uh, blog and find out that yeah, it's gonna it's a, the fucking uh, uprooted cycle, and I'm I've strapped myself in for like an epic fantasy series. <laughs> um, but Nora, I finished Harrow the Ninth. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Why? I'm just joking. It was really cool. Yeah, tell us about Harrow. 
Uh, how do I talk about the middle act of a trilogy without spoiling either it or the first book? I mean, we could... So, like, I personally don't mind getting spoiled on this book, so we could simply watch the time and put a timestamp in the description and spoil it. That would require Autumn to either leave or get <laughs> spoiled on the book. I'm, I'm looking inside of myself for... I, I'm gonna go sit in the bedroom and you spoil this book. <laughs> okay. I had to decide for myself if I wanted to read Harrow, and I do want to read Harrow, even though I've been complaining about Gideon for a month now. <laughs> I think that's valid. I understand. <sighs> um, basically, Harrow the Ninth. Uh, yeah. Just leave a mark here. Basically, I've been having a weird time um, looking at the fandom of this book. Yeah, I did see you retweet some really good fan art of like 11 year old uh, Gideon and Harrow, I think. Yeah, Um, yeah. That was just great. Those two like kids look extremely interesting (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i'm in a weird spot here because i'm like looking at the fandom posts on twitter just browsing the hashtags looking at the subreddit the wiki is still extremely under construction um simply uh sampling the internet yeah just taking a little sample i don't know where the main parts of the fandom hang out i don't know if i should head to tumblr and and check there um, there really isn't any discussion going on, though, uh, other than theory crafting about what the last book is going to have in it, yeah. like about the mechanics of the story and like who's going to do what. I don't um, think I'd... that people. I mean, I've not seen a lot of uh, like thematic discussion of fantasy novels in fandom. Yeah. Uh, and I was talking to Autumn earlier about, like, maybe it's just, like, book fandom broadly, like, book Twitter, as an example, is it's just is a certain way and is, like, encouraged to be a certain way by a lot of factors, some of which include the companies making books. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and this is not... It's not just me saying, oh, I'm tired of representation brain, but I am tired of representation brain. Yeah. Um, But but I think that, like, you know, um, yeah, like, it is frustrating when you can't find, when, when, like, ostensibly the people who really like this book do not want to talk about, like, what it's saying. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I think... I think the book kind of stumbled into a little bit of um, something interesting, mainly just like, oh, we are now in the um, the next generation of, I guess, like, everyone, I f- okay, this is maybe a little myopic, and I'll admit that, but I feel like most people writing YA are inspired or impacted in pretty tangible ways by harry potter oh yeah um 
And I don't think that Dumbledore is like the er example of of the mentor who's kind of shady. But there is a dialogue, I feel, where currently more stories are being written where that character is actually like textually shady. Yeah, Um, there's a lot of uh, I think there's a lot of like um, popular fiction right now about your bad parents and yeah like i think like hades for example i barely know what hades is about but it seems to be about confronting your bad dad you know um, yeah and i think a lot of very fandom stuff has been doing that in the past several years mm-hmm. and i think having like your mentor figure be untrustworthy is kind of part of that you know and i feel that this is something that hera the ninth has done um but also, God is hot in Hair of the Ninth. And he's also bisexual and polyamorous. So you can understand why the fandom is not interested in really is, digging into so, his ideology. It is so frustrating when people are just like, oh my god, this person is like hot and bi. Like, uh, and, uh, like, and it's not that I'm like, oh, I'm mad when there are like, hot bisexual evil characters in fiction no i love it when there are hot bisexual evil characters in fiction that's that's what i thrive on (laughs) (laughs) but yeah as a hot evil bisexual character myself (laughs) right exactly yeah but it's like yeah no it's so frustrating it's so frustrating when people think that they like a character but that means like taking away the things that make them complex or like a villain yeah it's like everyone when they talk about this character which they don't often because of course the the all the spotlight goes to the two main girls Mm -hmm. and 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 like thinking about their relationship which is understandable it's a focal point of the story but i feel it's important to talk about the guy who literally can't die (laughs) Who has been like, yeah, I lied to you about how Lichterhood works, and um, you could have done it differently, um, but I thought it would be easier if you just killed the other person instead of, like, doing this other thing that would take longer. Um, Yeah, it does sound like that guy's super evil, huh? (laughs) I thought it would be easier if you turned your Cavalier's soul into a battery for your eternal life and uh, immense power instead of working out how to, like, exist in tandem with each other and thus create, like, a a more powerful version that preserved the soul of the other person. (laughs) I just thought it would be easier this way. (laughs) Um, Dads are always doing this. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I know that, that, that it has all been building up to, like, you know, the locked tomb refers to the tomb on the ninth planet that holds the enemy that God could defeat once, but could never defeat a second time. And that, you know, this book ends with the tomb will be opened in Electo the ninth. Um, and that's going to come out and like, I don't think... Like, okay, here's a, here's a, here's something. You know a word no one has used on Twitter or Reddit to describe any part of the characters or society of Hera the Ninth what? is uh, a fascist. <laughs> it sounds um, honestly like practically 40k-ish in some ways. 
It is. It is very much that. It's like, what if the emperor of man, the god emperor of mankind, was like a hot guy, uh, and he uh, was around. What, what are you saying about the god emperor of mankind? <laughs> I don't even like forty k. I just had to fucking do that because I knew Ben would say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it is. I, it extremely is because like it's also there's this. It's necromancy. Everything is necromancy. All the houses practice necromancy. So there's skulls everywhere. There's all this, like, death-related shit. Everyone worships the emperor, the god who became man, the man who became god, uh, the kindly prince. He has a million names. Uh, it is very much like... Like, gay 40k. 40k is already gay. But also, yeah. Like, I feel like the... um. Like, one thing that has really been kind of confusing to me about the way that I've understood this whole series, I guess, the ninth? Is the series called the ninth? The series is called the Locked Tomb Trilogy. Okay. So the the way that I've understood the Locked Tomb Trilogy from the outside, obviously, necromancers has always been one of the main things that people tell you about this, is that they're doing necromancy. Um, Yes. But it's also very clearly, like, this just is the magic of this world and it is like the magic of the state. Right. And it's right. So I'm not saying that it's not necromancy or whatever, but um, to me, what necromancy tends to like represent in fiction, right? Like what I, who am thinking about, if someone says I am playing a necromancer is that this is like a weird forbidden dark art. And it's, there's something about it that is like socially unacceptable. Clearly, nothing mm-hmm. is more socially acceptable than necromancy in the society of these Well, worlds. it's funny you should mention that, because the rest of humanity outside of the Nine Houses doesn't use necromancy because it doesn't exist there, because Thanergy and Thalergy only exist in the space where the uh, Emperor has, like, created it, and he created it during the First Resurrection. And they, everyone else fucking hates necromancy and they okay. want to stamp it all out. So that's how it works. Cause that, okay. That <laughs> was the thing I wasn't getting because it's like, it's like a joke, right? It's like, ah, you, you un- unknowing reader think necromancy is bad. Uh, but actually in my book, it's cool and good. And the reason people think it's bad is this, you know, like I didn't know the punchline. You just told me the punchline <laughs> and now I like it all clicks into place. Um. Yeah, so it's like clearly the enemy God cannot defeat again will come back and defeat God probably in the third book. I'm just going to say that's probably pretty likely. Um, sure. We will upend the status quo in some way. Um, there is a revolutionary faction at play called the Blood of Eden. Um, uh, oddly not referring to the Garden of Eden, although I... Uh, I thought that's where that was going to go, but actually I thought BOE was going to end up standing for like brothers of earth or something, (laughs) but, um, all right. There is, um, there are factions working against the emperor and like even electors working against the emperor, but it seems like not for the reasons like, you know, uh, you are a fascist dictator conquering the galaxy, and we need to stop you. Mm-hmm. 
It's because you lied to us and manipulated us individually. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like dancing near the edge of something interesting. And I don't know if it's ever going to go over there. Um, I would guess that it's not. Yeah, probably. I don't know how many, how many uh, very um, leftist friendly books get published by Tor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but, um, um, yeah, man. I'm just now thinking about the, like, um, you know, uh, sort of horrible fascist space emperor who appears in the, um, uh, Book of the New Sun. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's one of those in that story. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really, like, it's a completely different kind of book with a completely different kind of story, and also it's one of my favorite books, whereas I haven't read uh, the Locks Tomb trilogy because I, it doesn't really appeal to me. Um, so mm -hmm. obviously the comparison is not favorable in my mind, but, like, <laughs> that's how I would react, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, like... There's so much of this book spends time showing god as or john his name is john because of course it is uh -huh. um as like a dad literally a dad um is to the he... point where like all so like is is the is the book's take as far as you can tell or the fandom's take as far as you can tell or either or both of those that he is like a good dad or a bad dad um what little i've seen because uh, like there's kind of two aspects of him there's the character who exists for 90 percent of the book and there's the character who exists in the second half of the parlor scene at the end of the book <laughs> okay <laughs> because the book builds up to his murder which happens right right and right. then and then after everyone else has a conversation all this red mist starts to appear and he reorganizes himself from cells up and regenerates in front of them and is like, look, I can't die. And immediately kills a character uh, just offhand because he was upset. Wow. All right. Yeah. Um, that is a very different, that does seem like there's every reason to consider that to be a pretty different character. Like most of the book has been this like very tired, very regretful guy who's like, I've, I'm doing my best. I've fucked some things up. I know that I've fucked some things up, but I'm doing my best. We're trying to save people. We're trying to fight this enemy who wants to kill me. And I just don't know what else to do. And I regret every terrible thing I have to do, but I do have to do it. And I'm a vulnerable dad I'm who just wants what's best for everyone. I'm so, so, so sorry that I made all of you kill your girlfriends for... How long has he been doing this Cavalier thing? <laughs> 10,000 years. 10,000 years. There's only been nine of them total, including the two new ones. Oh, but yeah. But okay. they have lived for 10,000 years. Um, Does the cat... Oh, and... Uh, I have a question, and, and this may be something mm -hmm. the book totally doesn't address. It sounds like probably it doesn't, actually, based on how you've talked about it. But uh, mm -hmm. when the Cavalier's soul is, like, taken and used, is that... 
does the Cavalier retain any kind of awareness? Like, as their soul is, is kept in some way functioning? Usually not. Usually not. Although Harrow messed with her brain to seal Gideon in a little box in her brain so that she didn't actually have all the Lictor powers, and Gideon did exist in the back of her mind watching things occasionally. Um, okay. But, but typically... Uh, the Cavalier does no longer exist. Oh, okay. No, that's not true. Because the question I'm the... asking is, is there like a being that is basically like conscious, but is being used as an engine for death magic? No, uh, conscious is, is a questionable word because when the necromancer goes into the river, they send their soul down to the underworld to do whatever it is they need to do. Um, their bodies... Um, are still alert and their bodies contain the cavalier so that they can defend themselves physically um, but those are not thinking cavaliers it's like all the muscle memory and all of the like instinct of the cavalier and all the training is still there but like the person and like the thoughts of that person and like all that stuff doesn't seem to be present fascinating I I First of all, I question this understanding of how human minds work. I mean, I get that it's <laughs> magic, though. So, like, on some level, I, I get that I don't really get to make that kind of nitpick. Um, uh, also, yeah, all right. I think that does pr fall pretty squarely within, though, what I was already kind of thinking about, which is, like, does it make sense to think of the deaths of the Cav Cavaliers as, like, not just like a one-time horrible thing, but like an ongoing evil. And it sounds like the answer is yes, because their corpses are being puppeted around. <laughs> and there's some sort of oh. entity that is aware enough to fight intelligently. To to be clear, the the entity of the Cavalier exists in the body of the necromancer. Ah, okay. So the 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 soul of the necromancer leaves the body, and the what is left of the Cavalier pilots the body while the necromancer is away to protect it. Okay, but it, it's not it's but, not like a body swap. All right, that makes sense. Um, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, I still mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. think though that that sort of like unthinking <laughs> entity, like the existence of that being, is a crime. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what a lot of people in this galaxy think. <laughs> well, good. Um, They're right. They should kill God. But the point is being that, like, there's this character of God at the beginning, through most of the, the book, and it's like, oh, you know, he's really trying to connect with Harrow like a dad. And he literally says, I, I, you would have made, a, you would have been a wonderful daughter. And I would have, if I were, I would allow myself a little enough selfishness to wish that you were my daughter or something um and then at the end he's like ah oh, well um so i can't be killed um i did lie to you about a lot of stuff including the part where i can't be killed so yeah if the resurrection beasts get to me they can't kill me i can't be killed uh he, he looks to like the first lecture and says are uh, do i have your loyalty yes go stand on that side of the room <laughs> How about you? <laughs> and he just like Oh he my god. I mean king shit to be clear, like <laughs> literally factually king shit because <laughs> and then he's like uh you you stand over there. Um I'm going to ask you as well. Uh is basically he's just going to nuke the other side of the room. 
mean, <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Yeah, let's let's fucking sort this out. <laughs> Which one of you fuckers are going to actually like be my guy? Um That's that's when you asked me to determine my pantheon of guys. That was me. Looking back at all of the fucking like male authors that I've ever enjoyed and just being like, "All right, would you die for me? If not, get over there." <laughs> And that's why I don't have any guys in my pantheon of guys. Kithraya is there. Her body is being possessed by another character whose name contains a meme, uh, who is actually Gideon's mother. Uh, And then it's revealed that Gideon's dad is God, but he didn't know that. Uh Uh-huh. So there's a whole lot of new layers of weird shit going on there. Um, But anyway... Uh, all things considered at the end, um, most of the characters who were conspiring against the the Emperor are dead, and, um, a bunch of characters who we thought might have died in the first book are actually alive, and they're in the Resistance movement fighting against the Emperor. Alright. Um, so that's neat. Yeah. Um, everyone's favorite... Uh, sex pal, Palamides Sextus, um, is inside a hand. He's a guy who got exploded. He's he's back. Okay, um, all right. Anyway, so like, is he? I don't know. He's like he's like possessing a hand, or like he's just a hand. He's possessing a hand, and the hand is his own body. He bonded to himself to his body as a revenant, as mm. like a right, right. Yeah, before he died, as like a precaution. So that when he died, he could, like, um, cling to his bones. Didn't anticipate getting exploded. That complicated things. Because then there were a bunch of pieces of his skeleton. But You hate when that happens. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, I'm just interested to see where it goes next. And I'm kind of frustrated that there's nothing to talk about with it like partial part of it is like oh well, none of my friends have read this book what if what the fuck do i do with my takes do i write do i write my takes down do i post a medium article about my takes on harrow the ninth this is a feeling um, that i have often had like and i think that in many ways this feeling is like part of what i found so satisfying about like english classes in college um because very often my papers for English in college were like if I, if I could find a way to shoehorn it into my class it was like here's just like a thing that I read and here's my take on it <laughs> um, and someone else had to read it and, and give me a good grade because I was good <laughs> at writing paragraphs hell yeah um, so yeah that's what this podcast is sometimes it's just me saying hey I read something somebody's gonna listen to me talk about it I mean, I already listened to you talk about it, and I thought it was interesting, and I'm honestly hoping uh, that, you know, that that some real good meaty shit with this god character happens in the next book. Like, I hope some, I hope, I hope it's cool. Like, I, 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 I don't have a ton of confidence in it being cool, but I really hope it is. Mm-hmm. The main thing that I'm, like, frustrated with in regards to, like, evil Dumbledore shit is, like, the characters do not give Harrow the chance. Also, Harrow isn't present in this scene. It's actually Gideon uh, who 
is aware of herself in Harrow's body because mm. um, they had a weird version of the um, Lichterhood stuff. So Harrow is actually in the um, the river with her fate servant at the time, but Gideon is there and um, God's like, no, I'm not going to ask you about your loyalty yet. I'm going to give you some time because you're, you are a new Lichter and what is... What is two? What is six months compared to ten thousand years? Uh, so we don't get the like. We don't even have the like POV character deciding that the emperor is bad at the end of the book. We don't have any. I don't have any assurance that like Tamsin knows. Yeah, that he's evil. It kind of sounds. <laughs> it does really sound like a situation where a lot could get kind of um, hand waved away in various ways of with like mm-hmm. either. You know, yeah, like, like, resurrecting, like, fucks up his personality, and he's gonna maybe get back to normal eventually, but, like, it, he can't access his, like, normal emotions, or some dumb shit like that. Um, mm-hmm. Or, like, you could also frame it as, like, you know, if you wanted to be more tragic about it, it could literally be, like, yeah, there was a nice dad dude who was, like, trying to make up for what he'd done, but he just got reset to the guy he was 10,000 years ago, and... All his character development is gone, and he's never going to be that nice guy again. That's also a possibility. That sounds really fucking sad, though. It could also be he was pretending to be the sad dad because he was like, he knew that he was being betrayed. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I think that's cool. I like that idea. Um, I hope it's something like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, I hope something interesting happens, but I say that about every book that I look forward to. <laughs> I mean, you gotta have, like, look, I think if you don't have hope that something interesting will happen, it's it's hard to read something. Yeah, yeah, that's Spe- true. <laughs> Speaking I of have which, taken up far too much time with this, though. So. Y- yeah. Um, I mean, no, you haven't. I didn't. You've taken up a good amount of time. This was all genuinely interesting. But, like, also, we should get Autumn back. Yeah. Um, is there any last-minute things I wanted to say? Autumn... You can. I don't think she can hear me. Damn. Oh my gosh, she's wearing earbuds. <laughs> Do you want me to DM her? I have DM'd her. That makes sense. I don't know why I would offer to do that. <laughs> uh, also, I'm. I'm on her computer, so her notifications might be going to the computer instead of the phone. I'll throw this pillow at the door. Did it help? It didn't help. I will go talk to her. You threw Sporb at the door? Yeah. Why would you do that to Sporb? Hello again. Hello. Also, we can't hear you right now if you're talking to us. Give us one second. Hello? (laughs) Hi. There we go. Hi. (laughs) Hey, I wasn't talking, uh, which is maybe why you couldn't hear me, but... uh... (laughs) Oh, that would contribute to it. Yeah, Yeah. sorry. But it also did sound like you were getting stuff set up, so I was kind of waiting. Yeah. All right. So, podcast. 
Now, an hour in, we can talk about the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do we want to just have, go right into the book? Awful. I have like a goofy little thing that I wanted to mention, but it's... it's uh, it... Yes, do that. Okay, well, so I haven't read any books other than like ones I've already talked about uh, between mm-hmm. last recording and this one, but I have been trying to find a book uh, because... Um, so, uh, are either of you at all familiar um, with the author Tanith Lee? Um, no. Or the genre of, like, romantic fantasy? That rings a bell. I think maybe we've talked about romantic fantasy on the podcast a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of maybe? like a, it's kind of like a, 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 a subgenre of fantasy from, like, the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. That, like, pff, hard to describe, honestly. Um, but, uh... Tanith Lee wrote a book called Elephantasm. Um, okay. Which is, like, out of print. Um, and so uh, I think some friends and I are going to try to read it, but we might have to, like, put in some real effort to locate Elephantasm. Um, which I... We are going to read it in significant part because of the really cool name. Uh, it's not... I don't think it's quite as cool as the name makes it sound, but it's about, like, it seems to be sort of a, a gothic thing. Um, you know, there's, like, a there's a, a, a woman who's sad and a man who's, like, kind of intense but appealing. You know. Um, yeah. This, this sounds like the very little bit I know about romantic fantasy, which is a thing that I've looked up before, and I don't think it was connected to this podcast as I as I'm trying to think about this. Um A Man Who's Sad and um No What was the was I, I said, a woman who's I said it was a a woman who is sad and a man who is like intense but appealing, I think is how I put it. Yeah, yeah. That is everything that I know about this genre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I, I wonder if um I mean I think of romantic fantasy as being kind of like adjacent to sailor moon in a lot of ways like definitely not in the sense of like i believe that one influenced the other because we're literally talking about like uh western Mm -hmm. novels and japanese animation in the 90s so like i don't think there was like a ton of actual crossover but i think that i don't know there was some sort of cultural thing going on where people were like you know what will really appeal to girls some like extremely lush and like symbolic stories about like girls getting swept up in a weird world of fantasy and like beauty and a little bit of horror i remember now there was a kickstarter for an rpg a tabletop rpg called blue rose Ah, last year yeah yeah i've heard of this and i heard about that and it looked interesting and then i spent an afternoon googling everything there was to google about uh romantic fantasy really and s- not reading any romantic fantasy novels i still kind of want to play that i think it uses yeah. the age system which yeah, is use, yeah the dragon age rpg was the first system you use it um because of course dragon age the property where the name of the world is Thedos, which is just an acronym for the Dragon Age setting, would have Dragon Age in the age system. I fucking love this. Which is... I love this. Look look forward to the crossover um, journal updated Ars Arcanum bonus podcast. Where we read 
Dragon Age novels? No, I was gonna say where we play um, the Dragon Age the RPG. Dragon Age RPG. <laughs> I hope that it's literally right there on in a box. It comes with pre-made characters. Oh, man. It comes with shit. Like <sighs> this sucks. I like just decided like last week that I don't want to play tabletop role playing games for a little while. Uh, mm-hmm. You're valid. Like I, you're valid. I it's it's like it, I think I'm making the right choice for me right now. But I still really like tabletop mm-hmm. games as a rule, and I I really want to play them again in the future. I'm just like taking a break. Uh, mm-hmm. But oh man. <laughs> 2021 Christmas special. Let's go. Uh, God. Look the the last time the last time I did Ars Arcanum, we had a holiday special where I ran the Mistborn adventure game oh, for yeah. two episodes. No, this is a. We should still do that. We should totally do I this. Can't... This is a great idea. I'm all for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I. This is this is. I think Christmas 2021 is the right time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We gotta. Well, given my track record of scheduling tabletop games, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So yeah, should we talk about Elantris? I'm ready. I don't envy whoever has the Serini chapter this week. I'm sitting over here with the Raven. Nora stays winning. <laughs> yeah, no, Raven's definitely like. Uh, uh... <laughs> I I I can't. <laughs> I, 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 I can't. You go. You go. Sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say that I get why uh, Nora chose Hraithan. I feel like it was a strategic choice in some ways. <laughs> no, because early on I was just like, oh, this guy's got a, the most interesting deal. I like his deal, and then it turned into, oh, nobody else has a deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright. Uh, so starting with thirteen. I cannot describe for you <laughs> the the sinking feeling in my stomach as I opened up uh my audiobook app and saw the Raiden chapter fifty six minutes, Serini chapter four fifty four minutes, the Hraithan chapter twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was so Okay, mad. keep scrolling. I want to see the, the difference in length between these and 15. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> really? I, I think, like last time, I'm just going to read from Coppermind and interject, and then we'll do like a chapter discussion at the end. Um, I love it. Raiden and Galadon are searching through Galadon's books, and Raiden finds one that is entirely written in Aeons, which seems... Mi- which seems to make it significant since it appears to be about Aeon Dor, so he plans to try to translate it using a dictionary and his rudimentary knowledge of Aeons. Marish is building a roof using a fabricated clay-like material. Lauren, a new arrival, is clearing a space for a small farm. Another Elantrian, K.R., um, walks up to the chapel to join the group since he hears rumors that Raiden's followers aren't hungry and are pain-free and is accepted and sets to cleaning the ever-present slime from the walls and floors using the rainwater. Raiden has been in Elantris for about ten days and is feeling the burden of leadership and concealing his pain for the sake of his followers. Damn, what a good king. Damn, what a good king! And <laughs> then everybody got up and clapped for him for being Damn. such a good king. Damn, your crown fat. What's your pronoun? <laughs> That oh my god that's that's that is woke Brandon Sanderson that's why we can never let him like understand what pronouns are it wouldn't be good. 
<laughs> Salen raises an alarm as Karada, along with a, about a dozen of her gang members, all armed, show up at their base. Karada orders Raiden's building destroyed and his followers beaten, but Raiden stays her hand by offering her to, to get into the palace in K. Oh, I was listening to the audiobook and I paid attention this time. It's K. Oh. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um... After Karada leaves, Raiden explains his rationale to Galadon. Um, I don't remember what that rationale is, but it's probably just, she was going to beat the hell out of us. It's, you know, I'm willing to take the risk. Um, Raiden and Karada sneak out of Elantris using the well to descend into the uh, Aradel River, which they um, which they float downstream into Kay. They gain access to Iodon's castle using uh, a hidden passage, and after sneaking through the king's bedchamber, Karada leads them to a guard's room to leave a note and necklace for her daughter, uh... Opeus? Opeus? Did we get that character's name in this? Yes. Okay. Um, also I want to say they specifically, basically just use the Del Toro Quest secret passage into the castle. Okay. Which, in Del Toro Quest, there's a, there's a rock that looks like a bear, and there's grass underneath, there's a trap door. But it was just like, the, it was felt like it was the same thing, that's all. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've lost my place now. Okay. When leaving, they encounter Karada's husband, who is a guard in the pa- uh, who is a guard in the palace and who fails to recognize either of them in their transformed states, but Raiden uses a non-working Aeon Sheo, which is death, um, to bluff him into not attacking, and they escape the palace without further further incident. Karada reveals that uh, she knows Raiden's true identity and agrees to fulfill her bargain not to not harm Raiden or his followers. She also agrees not to harm Iodon, um, which Raiden is worried about for a little bit. Um, uh, in turn, Raiden asks that Karada help him improve the quality of life in Elantris and reveals that he is planning to plant a corn crop with the seed corn that is part of the food offering so that the Elantrians can become self-sufficient. They return to Elantris through the front gates openly without problems since the guards do not want to get in trouble for negligence in allowing them to, to escape and decay. Raiden asks Karada to keep his identity secret and to not reveal the route they took out of Elantris to avoid countermeasures from Iodon. Karada decides to confide in Raiden and reveals that she is taking care of Elantrian children in secret and that all her followers are parents who have left children behind. The children cope with the situation surprisingly well. Karada pledges her loyalty to Raiden and wants to help help him realize his dream of a better Elantris. Raiden returns to the chapel, giving a sword he took from the palace guard to Salen and tells Galadon of uh, their new alliance with Karada's gang. Damn, what a good king he is. <laughs> God! <laughs> Damn, women be moms, though. When you think about it, <laughs> women's role in life is to mother children, and that's what they're good at, too. God. <laughs> I fucking love that she's, like, there's so much in this chapter about how, like, the Elantrians have never had hope. Nobody has ever tried to build. And it's like, dude, she's running a fucking daycare. That is what building yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Like... This letter, she is doing what he's doing. It's just that she hadn't thought of the agricultural side of it, you know. And, but like, but also, it's been ten years and no one's thought to plant a seed. I fucking know, right? <laughs> like, it, like I, I stand Karada. She's she's valid, but like also, she is kind of an idiot because yeah, she's never fucking thought of farming. 
Karada failed to consider agriculture. Also, Karada, uh, something that's not touched on in this summary is Karada's like, yeah, I can tell I'm definitely going to go uh, insane soon. Like, my sanity meter is ticking down, so I'm, like, passing on my men to you, basically. <laughs> um, also, she has two daycares. Right. One for the children who haven't lost their minds, and one for the children who have. The... The way, I, you know, I joked about it, but it really is, there is a sanity meter in Elantris, yeah. and once you hit, like, eight stubbed toes, you just, like, like, the guy who comes and joins, um, who comes and joins, uh, Raiden at the start of this chapter is like, well, I really felt like I was about to just, like, I was either gonna go join you or just hop in a gutter somewhere and, like, suffer for all of eternity, and it's just like, Bro, what? <laughs> it's, it's so weird. It's I, I I I have a lot of like questions about the Elantrian state of being brought on by this chapter. Um like uh-huh. I think that like are these children growing? Like physically? I think that's I, a genuine question because they're they're sort of dead, right? Hmm. And people would know I would assume not, but I don't know. I think it's completely bizarre that that's not established. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Karada would know, and it's like an open question. And it would tell something, like, if she knows that that children in Elantris don't grow, that would be reason for her to be like, we are not going to be able to do anything more than ease our suffering here. We're not going to be able to make this a good place to live. We're dead, you know? But mm-hmm. on the other hand, if she knows that they are growing up, that should be, like, a huge motivator for her to be like, yeah, you're right, we gotta build a future for these kids, you know? Right. But no, the kids just, uh... Also, aren't kids just so tough? They can just, you know, they can just endure everything until they can't. All of a sudden, just, like, a kid just, like, you know trips and falls one time and then they just have to send him to the crazy kid room you know i i really do wish that like we just didn't have to be so constantly reminded of the like existence of the hoed as this book calls the people who have totally lost their minds with pain because it's just such a like fucking bad idea (laughs) it is it's so weird and the way that like Raiden seems pretty casual about a lot of things in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, of like, he could feel um, like he could feel certain things, but he brushed it off because he had to go be a good king. Um, is like mentioned two or three times. It's just odd. It's just odd. I I well, he's please go on. You go. He's doing the Ruby thing, where he's yeah. pretending that he's not suffering to be a good leader. Yes. <laughs> Is that what Ruby's about? That's the Ruby, the character in Ruby. Uh, yes. Can you hand me the book, Nora? No. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a... Uh, I might even just remember exactly what it is he says, which is just that... Um, or I remember it well enough that I don't need to actually look at it, I don't think. Which is just that... Um, he says, like... 
of all the people in Elantris, Raiden was the only one who had to smile and keep like a keep a chipper face on for everybody else. And it's just like, shut up. Yeah, Other people have responsibilities, dude. Yeah, it's so like it's it is it, it, it comes across as self-aggrandizing, even though this is supposed to be like an omniscient narrator. It just comes across like the omniscient narrator is just like sucking up to Raiden. <laughs> <laughs> The omniscient narrator is Luke L. God, amazing. Um, I, I also was really uh, like, can we talk a little bit about the trick that they used to escape Elantris? Um, mm-hmm. because yeah. it is fucking horrifying, and it's not really treated that way. Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, what they do, uh, like, this is a clever plan that Rayadin figures out, is that they're gonna escape, basically, via the... Like, via the the well, and, like, via basically a sewer. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, his logic is, like, we can just get totally immersed in, like, an underground water flow... And just come out the other side and we'll be fine because we don't need to breathe. I tested it. I held my breath for a half an hour and nothing happened to me. And it's like, all right. Yes, I totally believe that this would work with the way that, like, their bodies are. That, like, they wouldn't need to breathe. But also, like, you're having your lungs completely fucking filled with water. You are experiencing being waterboarded. (laughs) For You're going to have pneumonia forever yeah and there's this bit where like after they get out he coughs all the water out of his lungs and um she's like don't cough too hard you'll irritate your throat and then you'll have a cold forever and it's like bro you are never gonna get all the water out of your lungs so you are gonna have a cold forever (laughs) i hate it oh i hate it uh and they fucking like They are, like, forced at high speed by water through a a, a totally dark tunnel for, like, who knows how long. It's terrifying. Oh, I hate this. I'm sorry. I shouldn't, uh... No, it's fine. It's fine. I just hate it. I hate it. It's terrible. And then he's like, unless we accidentally get stuck as a drain plug for all eternity. Right? But that probably won't happen. Oh, my God. Probably not. But if that happens... No one's coming to help us. <laughs> it's so horrible. And, and, and like, I... I mean, it feels like the book knows how much that is horrible enough to, like, kind of make dark humor out of it. But it is not in any way, like, trying to underline the horror of this with, like, the language. And so it does come across a little bit like the book doesn't know how scary this is. Even though, like, yeah, it has, like... That bit where Raiden points out that thing about, like, becoming a drain plug forever, like, that's just to creep you out. Because, like, you know, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Also, the entire mission is just so that, like, um, just, just feels like a really weird, like, women just love being mothers. They're just so good at it. Yeah. You know? I can't fucking um, believe that... She doesn't want to kill the king, and that Rayodin doesn't want to kill the king. Like, one of them should want to kill the king. <laughs> also, also, as soon as, so she comes in at the start of this chapter, like, I'm gonna break your fucking like your whole fucking body, dude. <laughs> like, um, and like threatens that, and then goes and sees um her child, 
who also there is a uh, there is a really dumb line where Raiden, where the narrator is like Raiden couldn't tell the features or gender, but there was definitely a child there. <laughs> um, but like, so she goes and sees. I believe it's her daughter, right? Um, yeah, I think it's a daughter. And then they get out of the castle, and Karada is like. All right, my liege, I swear fealty to you. You've always been my prince. I always you knew you were my prince, and even though I hated you and your father on the outside, now that I'm inside, I I swear my fealty to you. And it's like, what? Yeah, f- <laughs> yeah. Fuck off, Brandon. <laughs> fuck off, Brandon. I also like there were a number of bits in this where like Brandon's just being a giant asshole again for like no reason that I can tell. Where like mm-hmm. so, for example. Like one of these is um, when a, when this new person joins the crew, right? He like shows up and is like, "Hey, uh, I heard that you have magic powers that can take away the pain, and I'm about to do the next best thing to committing suicide if something doesn't make it better soon. So, can you please help?" And uh, <laughs> Raiden is like, "Oh yeah, totally. Like work for me." And the guy's like, and then you'll tell me the secret that makes the hurting stop? And Raiden's just kind of like, out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah later. <laughs> and it's just so fucking, like, I, I get the idea that, like, okay, Raiden is the only person who is who, who is doing anything that actually could make this guy's life less awful, right? Like, he, he will be able to get mm-hmm. this guy maybe a little bit of food, right? And that will make his life suck less. So I don't blame Raiden for just kind of feeling like, I have every right to recruit this guy and like I am doing what he wants. It's just not the magic thing that he wants. Right. Like I don't have right. an instant solution to his problems, but he still leaves the guy under the impression that there is a magic secret that he's about to tell him <laughs> and that he's just not to mention, <laughs> not to mention the like textual manipulation that was addressed in the last chapter that he does here too. Is like, Oh, you used to clean streets. That's perfect. I was looking for somebody who could clean streets for me. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> and it's so fucking, like, you, we've literally got a street sweeper who is, like, on his hands and knees using nothing but water to clean grime off of cobblestones. And he's, like, desperately begging at the feet of the prince to relieve his suffering. And the prince is not gonna help him. He's just gonna work him more. And this is a great guy who we love. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck, Brandon? What a fucking asshole! <laughs> Actually, he's a kind and good person. (laughs) What he is, is like a... Like, this is like a fucking... Like, a DS fantasy, you know? Like, it just... When I described it that way, like, the level of abasement that the people working for him have, and the degree to which the narrative is interested in, like, propping up how admirable Rayadin is, it, it is like... I don't know, man. It feels, it feels like it's really important to this narrative that there are higher and lower roles that different people play. Um, yeah, yeah. I the Harathans chapter also has like some stuff about that. I think too <laughs> that we'll get to when we get to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Oh, but yeah. Is that every? This is. I think maybe Rayadin has a plot, finally. Yeah. I think that's what this chapter is. 
He's definitely doing stuff, yeah. Presumably someone's gonna try and come in and create conflict now. Uh, I thought Karata would be the one that created conflict, but you know, there's two more <laughs> warlords. He did have the opportunity to fucking kill his father, which would have created some damn conflict, but no. That would have been great. <laughs> Except that he didn't, right? Huh? Because isn't this the night that Eodon is at the party? Eodon, it is remarked upon oh, that yeah. Eodon went home early from the party. Oh, okay. And and um and in the chapter in this chapter itself, Raiden says he um like when they get into the room, he like opened the door very cautiously and looked and saw his father sleeping there. So oh, okay, yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying that I actually want Raiden to jump to killing Eodon because, like, that should be a big deal. It should be, like, worked up to as a climax. But I do think it would be mm-hmm. good for that to be something that Raiden comes to see as necessary because, like, he opposes his father as, like, a horrible tyrant on basically every level. So, like... Also, just, like, it would just be interesting if Karata was like, I swear to you... I will not try to kill Eodon. And then as soon as she sees Eodon, is like, all right, time to fucking go. <laughs> like, pulls a knife out. Like, it would just be interesting, you know? Yeah. Because what reason does she have to promise him that? <laughs> and, and, like, I guess it would... I guess I'm not saying that I want Raiden to be totally bloodthirsty, but he just seems totally committed to the idea that, like, no, I've never considered killing my father. I would never kill my father. It's, like, uh, it is a... a I, I, I'm not even willing to... Like, I'm not tempted by the thought, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's a weird perspective for someone who's been opposing his father politically for years and who must have known that if his father died, it would be politically advantageous for him, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of the same way that I think it's ridiculous that uh, Serini doesn't assume that Eodon had Raiden killed. It's like, there's just this obvious... uh, political conflict between them and they live in a country that had a revolution 10 years ago so the idea that it's totally impossible that father and son could ever want to hurt each other is like bizarre right (sighs) but should we should we truck along the serene yeah yeah um (sighs) i uh i will also Oh, sorry. Go on. I, 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 I'm just gonna put in um, like a content warning at the start of this episode for the like rape jokes that happen in this chapter. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's. I'm gonna put. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna put that at the start of the episode, and like, if you're still listening and you want to, and like, you know, you want a reminder. Yeah, you want a reminder. That happens in this chapter, you know, like that. This is going to be the chapter where we have to talk about some rape jokes for a second. So, yeah, yeah, it, it sure is. Thank you. Thanks for that. Yeah. So uh, I'm also going to read the, the copper one summary. Um, Serini joins Queen Eshin's embroidery group to keep up with the latest court intrigues. Serini talks about Teod court activities, including fencing, and offers to teach this sport to the women of the group, even though fencing is considered to be beneath nobles. Ash reports information to Serini that was gathered in a scouting expedition to Elantris, and to the palace dungeons. Serini accompanies Shudin to a lavish party at Duke Tellery's residence. So, last episode we were like, oh man, Brandon can sure write a ball scene, and like, here it is. Ah! 
Serena's <laughs> noble rank allows them access to an exclusive gathering attended by King Eodon, which also includes high-ranking Aralene along with Hraithen. Shudin talks of the history of Shu Kesig, the parent religion of both Shu Korath and Shu Dareth, and how the original intended concept of unity became complicated over the passage of time. I would love to get into this theology because it doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Um, no! Unite them. It's so vague. Uh, Shudin expresses concern about Hraithen and Lord Waylon, and this concern is echoed by Lord Royal. Serini tells the king about fencing at the queen's request, and Eodon acquiesces to their desire to exercise. Um, <laughs> oh, God. That was so dumb. Uh, a messenger delivers bad news to the king. Serini tries to eavesdrop, but is outed by Hraithen as payback for her earlier interference with his preaching. Serini meets as many people as possible to become acquainted with the political and social scenes to avoid being disadvantaged by Hraithen in this regard. Upon return to the palace, Serini learns about an intrusion in the king's chambers earlier in the evening. So... Um, we were looking forward to the ball scene. Uh, I mean, there was some fun, cute stuff in this, I think, but a lot of it sucked. A lot of it sucked. What if she had met a nice, nerdy boy reading a book at this ball? God, that would own. That would have been so much better, yeah. Um, I, I, uh... Uh, before we get into the ball scene, I do want to talk a little bit about the, the, the scenes that come before that, where she's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, this fucking needlepoint scene. I mean, it it's obviously... It's so bad. It's it's very boring in the way that, like, this book's ideas about what women's work for nobles is, have always been kind of boring, you know? Like, this is mm-hmm. just very um, typical pseudo-medieval fantasy idea of what women do, you know? Um... And this thing where she kind of wants to talk to these people to, like, get, um, you know, like, information, like, like gossip. And there's this kind of sense of, like, ah, perhaps sometimes the women's gossip contains more real, valuable information than, like, the talking of the courtiers. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. You respect women. Yeah. You don't actually respect women, given how, like, you're depicting them, but, like... Good to know that that you know that, like, women know things sometimes. Um, Brandon is someday going to take that sentence and turn it into a ten-book series, and it's going (laughs) to fucking own, but until that time, we suffer. Because, like, uh, you know, Serini, there's this bit where it's like she's saying she kind of had hoped that she would be able to, I think she's hoping that she might be able to, like, almost recruit these women as, like, allies in her anti Hraithen political cause. Um, mm-hmm. But she's kind of like, you know, none of these women care about politics at all. It's just not part of their world. I need to, like, introduce them to manly things like caring about politics slowly. I'm going to start with fencing. Um. The the women are also like, we hear that in Teo, you, like, women, like, gore each other and fight to the death. And it's like, what? Why, why is that the rumor? Because they fence. <laughs> I just, they don't like, know what fencing is. I, I guess it's just like, why does the rumor get like so blown out of proportion like that? I guess that's how rumors go sometimes. Yeah. Hey, didn't you ever watch Larry Boy and the Rumor Weed? I, you know, I don't think that I did. <laughs> I definitely like, I think this is just so invested in the idea that like women fencing is like inherently um, 
like good and liberatory <laughs> and like mm-hmm. i'm not saying that like it's bad like sports are nice but like it's just such a weird thing to be so invested in <laughs> um this also ties into the part where Eodon hates soldiers and hates sword fighting and says that sword fighting sucks ass and is gay. (laughs) And so that's how (laughs) Serini gets to convince him, partially because she's like, well, if sword fighting is below the men, then obviously it's fine for us to do it. We're just women. And then the other half of her argument is, well, you wouldn't want us to get fat, would you? The idea of like how navigating like regressive social structures works you know here is that if you are just like clever enough and come up with the right argument you can just tell the sexists off and they'll have to let you do whatever exactly (laughs) well that reminded me of um let me see if i can find this real quick because this does feel like something that i just need to like quote brandon on real quick um wrong chapter Wrong chapter? Shit. No, wait. I'll let you find it. Basically, just like, um, as they're in their needlepoint circle, um, Serini is like, oh, well, this girl over here, she's so fat, but blah, blah, blah. And then, like, talks about her... No, she's so thin, but her parents are fat asses. Oh, yeah. Okay, there it is. Yeah. Um, uh, and just like, every oh, time... sorry. Sorry, it's, um... Serene still found it hard to believe that a person so slight of frame could have come from a pair as bulbous as Ahan and Siadem. Yeah, yeah. And like, every time that uh, her parents are mentioned, because I think her mother is in this needlepoint circle, um, like, every time one of those characters is mentioned, like, the portly, the bulbous, the fat, like, it's just, like, it's needless and excessive and mean and i had to like pause the book for 10 minutes and go do something else because i just, just i did you gross. did you fight one another with swords asked the overweight siaden her face eager it's so there's no reason to put that there it's also like really um presentist which i mean this has been a problem this book has had in general i think that the the po- gender politics have this problem too but it's like uh you know fatness was not seen as like a sort of dangerous thing that you might accidentally fall into if you like didn't exercise enough in like medieval europe you know like right i'm not saying that there was like absolutely none of the modern cultural beauty standards but like the current way we think about fat and like obesity like the phrase overweight refers to like a particular medical idea of what your weight is supposed to be and that medical idea like didn't fucking exist in the 1400s. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. It's just it sucks. And it's just like this chapter just felt mean and shitty. This is a, a, a couple shit. times. Yeah. Should we sh- should we talk about the uh the other like big way this chapter is mean and shitty? Yeah, grandpa betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh Grandpa betrayal. This has happened to me so many times. You think old men are cool, but they suck, actually. <laughs> what What if Master Roshi had a zillion dollars? <laughs> so, we talked, like, last 
episode about the idea of like the 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 visual novel where like you have like three grandpas stacked on top of each other and this is totally that um yeah uh <sighs> like sereni is like at the ball with like three different guys from this meeting from the last sereni chapter all kind of like talking to her about stuff um and and some of it is charming but uh the bit that we're talking about right now is um it comes just after a little bit, a little extra, a little extra dash of Orientalism about shooting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, so I tweeted. Wise. I tweeted about he is. He really he's, is. He's so wise. This uh-huh. shooting. I I tweeted this passage um, on my locked account, and we'll just we'll just talk about it. So they're at the ball, uh, um, Serene and Shudin, and they meet up with Royale. And Royale's talking about, like, oh, I always get so many, like, so many ladies are always surrounding me um, at these balls. And Serene's like, what? You? You're not really a looker. Oh, sorry. Ha ha ha. My and, lord. Yeah, my lord. <laughs> uh, and then here's the part that I tweeted, which I'll just read more or less verbatim. Royale laughed. Don't worry about offending me, young Serene. No man my age is much to look at, my dear. Uh... Eoldes has been dead for 20 years and I have no son. My fortune has to pass on to someone and every unmarried girl in the realm recognizes that fact. She would only have to indulge me for a few years, bury me, and then find a lusty young lover to help spend my money. My lord is too cynical, Shuden noted. My lord is too realistic, Royale noted. Er, snorted. Whatever. (laughs) Though I'll admit the idea of forcing one of these young puffs into my bed is tempting... I know they all think I'm too old to make them perform their duties as a wife, but they assume wrong. If I were going to let them steal my fortune, I'd at least make them work for it. And then they all laugh about him being a dirty old man. This is rape. This is marital rape. Yeah. And it is just a fun joke mentioned in passing. And then, like, from here, they notice someone at the party and just start talking about, like, oh, well, he has, like, a rivalry with so-and-so, but, like blah 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 and intrigue intrigue and it this just goes unremarked upon it's just a funny bit and it fucking sucks i mean it's it's it's, it is like i i i I do feel like it's worth unpacking a little bit because um like this joke sucks it's totally unnecessary uh but i also do think that like this is one of the things that i think underlies like what's kind of gross about like the affection for like feudalism that these that this book has is that mm-hmm. like so you know the reason that sex is a wife's duty for a lord like royal is to produce an heir right like he said i have no son if he's gonna marry again it's gonna be to get a son right um right uh i mean you know i'm sure that like I, he doesn't ever literally say, like, oh, I'm marrying to have an heir, right? But but I think that, like, that's how, like, feudal structures work. Um, and so, like, this thing where women are competing to marry him so that they can, like, marry into his fortune, that system is founded on marital rape. Like, it requires marital rape yeah. to function. That's, like, what, a, 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 you know, it is a system of reproductive coercion. It is a system in which women's value is their ability to bear children. 
Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, in a way, uh, it doesn't make this character more, like, disturbing to me that he's explicitly joking about it, because that's what he's doing, whether or not he's making it a joke. But it also fucking mm-hmm. sucks that it's made into a joke and that, like, the the sympathetic characters are all just like, oh, ha, 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 isn't that funny? Yeah, the ire doesn't fall on the character for making the joke. It falls on Brandon for making the character tell the joke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and it, it belies a belief, I think, on Brandon's part, at least at this time in his life, that he's writing this joke that, like, marital rape is not a thing, you know? Which yeah. is a, like culturally like a a pretty widely accepted thing that like oh you can't rape them you're married to them you know like that's part of marriage and like no it is a thing that is real and happens and it hurts people and it it sucks and it's awful and it it really in a hypothetical version where i'm having fun reading this book instead (laughs) instead of like something like this throws you out of it like it's a really awful like thing to put in this book yeah. <laughs> you know yeah um I, I i think that like it's also important to think about something like this when we talk about brandon's books not being horny or not having overt sexuality because like that's true but then they have this you know um yeah and this is totally acceptable to like an audience that would find actual sexuality, like consensual sexuality in the books to be like distasteful. Yeah, no, like this is, um, this is a clean, this is like, this is like acceptable conversation, um, between like a few good Christian adults. Like this is acceptable in a way that like, you know, a sex scene would not be. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really, yeah. Like, I... There are times when I am really, like, enjoying reading Brandon Sanderson's work, and there are times when it's just like, damn, the man has a totally different conception of, like, the world and morality than I have. Yeah. This is a weird book because it feels so separate from his other work. For sure. And... It, like, temporally, it's not. Like, how many years passed between when this book came out and when Mistborn was published? Uh, two years, I think. Which is very different from when this book is written and when that book is written, you know? Probably, yeah. Uh, I, but I think they're separated by two years. Um, uh, one year. One year, yeah? Yeah. And it's like, I really have to think about the difference in time between when he wrote the two, because it's like... I'm not saying Mistborn is perfect and flawless or anything like that, or especially in regards to its like gender politics or regard for these kinds of structures. It's just like feels like a different author, a different perspective yeah. entirely. Like Miss, like his second book, he was like, oh, cheeks flushed, trying to like, I'll, no wait, I, I respect women. <laughs> yeah, Look, here's a cool girl. <laughs> She's a ninja. (laughs) Like, it's so weird to come back to this one and find just a different voice. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, 
we're we will stumble on things in future books that uh are also upsetting but it's just like the specific way in that this book is just fucking getting to me sometimes what what did you do (laughs) (laughs) fucking with the spreadsheet okay um yeah it's like it's just weird that this first one is like this forgotten little dusty corner of this thing we all really like yeah yeah um oh i have a a a sort of unrelated thing about this chapter that i do want to make sure i mention Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's a lot more in this chapter to talk about. I still, just I wanted to like. like take a moment to be like, we do like Brandon's work otherwise. We promise. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. No, look, I I think I really don't think it is a giant like red flag that his first book sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um I, I think yeah. it it's kind of impressive to me that he wrote so many more that got published after this one got published. Yeah. Um uh, but I do think that, like, probably even, you know, probably even Brandon Sanderson of 2020 and, like, Brandon Sanderson's work of 2020 doesn't really understand what, like, rape culture is, right? Um, yeah. But I do think he wouldn't write this joke today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, like, I think if you showed him this, he would probably tell you that he's not proud of that, you know? Yeah. Well, hopefully. Hopefully, you know. I mean, culture has yeah. changed a lot as well. You yeah, know? culture has changed a lot, you know? Yeah. He has, I think, like, changed his personal, said he has changed his personal, like, perspective on things like gay marriage in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, like... Like, he's changed a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, you had more things to say. Yeah, let's let's talk about tasty, anything. Tasty chapter because there's there's some shit. Yeah, I know, right? There's a lot of good stuff in here. I am on I am on Ashwatch uh, because <laughs> a Sion expressed something like individuality or like a will, and I'm like, oh, I need to know more. I am I am laser targeted for more information about Sion will. Um, this the thing that I'm talking about is um, when uh, Serini is talking to Ash about the like stuff that Ash has learned from like floating around and trying to find out about what's up with Elantris, um, and uh, apparently a lot of people are like kind of scared of Ash because they associate the Sions with Elantris and they are like, you know, they're afraid of them because of that. And Ash is like, mm-hmm. yeah. But we had nothing to do with the fall of the city. There is nothing to fear from a Sion. I wish, but, well, that is irrelevant. And I'm like, no! No! Ash, (laughs) tell me! I want to know what you wish! (laughs) And I know we're going to find out, right? At some point, we're going to find out what the fucking deal with Sions is, because there have been so many tantalizing little hints. Uh, But... (laughs) They're like... I mean, somebody's gonna be like on the wiki typing in like, oh, you know, they're splinters and not say anything else. <laughs> God. But... Yeah, I'm I I can't wait to I see Sion's and like Sion sort of personhood or like Sion like desires 
are basically uh, one of that. That's one of Brandon's little mysteries that's keeping me going in this story right now. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Brandon's little mysteries, do we want to talk about uh, religion, y- unity? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Can you hand me the book? We gotta get the exact... I want every little word of this exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> I think I'm in the right chapter. I have two podcasts. Oh, I just flipped to the right page. Yeah. And we're talking about theology. <laughs> Should I... Let me see if I can find a good place to start reading from. Because I... Okay, okay. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this so that the listeners can be on the same page as us. Which is 193. 193. Serini and Shudin are talking um, at the party. Shudin smiled. Um, Actually, I might jump down just a little bit. Um, I think probably... Apparently... You go, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, I think like maybe the the core paragraph is the one that starts Shudin's face darkened slightly. Uh, that's where that? the, okay. the yeah, yeah, yeah. main I think the Shudin? Shudin's face darkened eyeing the Giorn. I wonder what the uh, I wonder what the master thought when his two students Korath and Dirith left to preach the, to the lands northward Kessig taught of unity but what did he mean? Unity of mind as my people assume unity of love as your priests claim or is it the unity of obedience uh, as the Durethi believe. In the end, I am left to ponder how mankind managed to complicate such a simple concept. <laughs> <laughs> so, the the differences between the religions are that, like, God sent out three disciples to preach, and it's, like, partially geogra- geographically motivated like the theological differences between the the main religions that we've encountered which is wild <laughs> yeah this is this is not a, a like uh, a history of the development of a religion that makes any sense to me um like and it's not a basic theological discussion that means anything here like i can believe I can suspend my disbelief and believe that they actually have this theological debate in terms these vague, right? But, like, what the fuck does unity of love mean compared to unity of mind? What is the difference between those things? What do these two different sects believe about the nature of God? What do they believe about the afterlife? What do they believe about fundamental ethical principles? Like... We don't know anything about these religions, even though supposedly we know the main thing that they're about, because it's been stated so vaguely. And I have some some idea about Shudirith believing in the unity of obedience, because that's been reflected in, like, the hierarchy that the Giorns and Wern and all of these people are part of. Like, I so, somewhat understand, but I don't... I, apparently I don't fucking know anything about Shukorath, because... Unity of love is totally new to me and is not at all reflected in um, the society of Aralon, I don't think. <laughs> like... No, no. Uh, and it's also like uh, the the one thing that hasn't really been like, that hasn't come up in this conversation, seems like it should be a big deal here, um, is that uh, we're talking about this as though 
there's Shukaseg, and then there are its two offshoot religions, Shukorath and Chudareth, right? Mm-hmm. But the place where they believe in Shukaseg is Jindo, right? And yes. it's been conquered, and Shukaseg has been wiped out. <laughs> Right, <laughs> but that's not true. That yeah, according to according to Shuden, um, he, he says, "My people allow Wern to assume that the Jindo have been converted because it is better than fighting." That doesn't make any fucking sense, dude. So everyone is, it's a whole, everyone is secret Christians. Yeah, every, everyone is underground Christians. Everybody's drawing little fish instead of crucifixes. <laughs> I yeah, I it's it's uh, a very like I'm not saying like there have been cases in history where people you know like um like uh conversos, right? Like families of like Jewish mm-hmm. people who were forced to convert to Catholicism but who like maintained a, a sense of Jewish identity and like handed down traditions like secretly that's like a real thing that happened but it happened as part of like you know fucking like it it doesn't um it didn't the the way he's talking about it makes it sound like every single jindo is like in on a secret uh, as a nation like as a whole Mm -hmm. conquered nation Rather than... Well, unity of mind, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to find out that the Jindo have a hive mind. <laughs> oh my god. That would be so racist. It, oh my god, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Uh, um, or also, like... There are cases in the real world where, um, you know, group like uh, ethnic groups, groups of people are forced to convert, and in that place, maybe like the the version of Christianity or the version of whatever religion is practiced in this sort of like hybrid way, where like traditions are brought over. Like Christmas is, you know, famously like kind of a hybrid of Christian and pagan celebrations, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's not what this is. It's just. Everybody has like everybody tells Wern that we're totally Shudirith now, but no, we're not. <laughs> it's so it's, weird. It's weird. Also, uh, the thing where Shudin's people have been like conquered and, and and colonized, and his religion has been effectively wiped out, but. He's like, ah, the soul of Shukesig is acceptance. There is room for all teachings. The Dorethi think think they are doing what is right. That's so stupid. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that, like, a person couldn't have that perspective, especially, like, if his religion preached something like that. But, like, it sucks that the book clearly thinks it's, like, ah, oh, so wise, rather than, like, dumb bullshit. It, it's really weird that this person who, like, is in the same room as Hraithan, who was personally responsible for, like, um, the colonization of Jindo, uh, well, of Duladel, but, like, like, Shudin is in the room with a colon, like, a guy who he knows is, like, a, a for real colonizer, like, 
uh, and it doesn't feel any type of way about it. Is not just like is not like leaning over to screen like I want to run up on that dude right now. <laughs> and like the thing is also like he's saying this whole like oh we accept the Dorathy they're doing what they think is right, but he's also like oh that one is dangerous. So it's like um are you saying that like there are good Gjorns and bad Gjorns? <laughs> well, Shudan is rich. Yeah. So he wouldn't be affected in the same way. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, but, like, I. it's it's not necessarily that I uh, don't... Again, like, I, I, I find this believable as, like, a sort of shitty mm-hmm. position for someone to hold. But, like, the narrative clearly wants you to think that, like... Not necessarily that he's totally correct, because we like Sereni best, and she's, like, vehemently opposed to Shudareth. But, like, I think maybe we're meant to think that, like, ah... Mm, but he's probably right. Probably all religions have a little bit of truth in them when you get down to it. We also get um, Sereni saying, why is Hraithan dangerous and not others? Uh, and Shudan saying, I visited one of Hraithan's sermons. He doesn't preach from his heart, Lady Sereni. He preaches from his mind. He looks for numbers in his conversions, paying no attention to the faith of his followers. This is dangerous. I would love some explanation about why that is uniquely dangerous. Or why that's a thing you can tell just by watching the guy preach. Or why that's a thing... I have have a question. Is this Brandon trying to, like, make a political cartoon about Joel Osteen? Yes. Absolutely. A little bit, yes. I I think Yes. I, I, I think that Brandon believes that there is a certain kind of preaching that is good and a certain kind of preaching that is, like, bad and sort of mercenary. And that you can, and that those are the same across all religions. At least in this right. book, he seems to think that. I can totally believe he learns better later. Don't mm-hmm. at me if there's like some really good, interesting comparative religion stuff late in like Oathbringer. I don't know. There's, I mean, a good chunk of Mistborn is like about religions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well, well, we will. The theology doesn't stop, folks. <laughs> um. Spe- oh wait, no, that's from the Hraithan chapter. Yeah, I was I, gonna, I was gonna segue into something, and then I'm not going to because it's from the Hraithan chapter. Um, what else in this chapter? Because I feel like there's more. I just need to figure out what the rest of it is. Serini double timing on social links. God, it, there's a there's a phrase that I uh, wrote down for myself because it pissed me off, which was that it said that Serini was quote making contact like a mad woman. Uh, which I just hate because, like, making contacts? Like, is she fucking, like, that is such a, that that is the way that you talk about, like, collecting people's business cards at, like, uh, like a, a, a social thing at your work. That's making contacts. It's such a, it's such a, a, a very, like, 20th, 21st century feeling phrase. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like, a mad woman? Do <laughs> mad women, like... So poorly? Yeah, exactly. Like, are mad women always, like, like hobnobbing and, like, like making social connections? I don't think that's, like... Um, it's just uh, Serini doing the business card scene. <laughs> the, um... Oh, oh, uh, oh, what's it from? What's it from? I don't remember. American Psycho. American Psycho. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, Christian Bale. Well, what was it? There was something else with Serini here that that just you're holding remi- the books. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to remember. That just reminded me of something, and then I got so caught up on trying to remember what American Psycho is. Um, fuck. 
Oh, there's also a lot of comments um, that will pay off in the next chapter about, like, why is Tellery all of a sudden trying to, like, show everybody how wealthy he is? Because this is, like, the most extravagant ball that anyone's ever been to. Um, I, I, the, the, oh, the, here's what I was going to say. Here's what I was going to say. Um, it's remarked upon in this chapter, and I think this is, like, a good characterful moment that, like, once again, Serene keeps forgetting that she is technically the crown princess. Like, um... Yeah. Like, um... And I think that's, like, a good characterful moment that's consistent with what we got last chapter. But because we get both Shudin and Royale talking about how, oh, all the women are clamoring over me because they, they're, like, attracted to, like, my rank and my title and my wealth, um, like, I feel like maybe, like... Like, we get a lot of, like, Serene, like, kind of standing in the corner and observing. I think it would be interesting if people were like, oh, she's the new crown princess. I'm going to go latch myself onto her at this party and, like, try to get in her good graces. I think it would be interesting if, like, characters were drawn to Serene instead of Serene always having to instigate drama and always having to, um, like, um move back and forth between like neutral observer and like political actor, you know? It is it is kind of surprising, yeah, that it doesn't feel like anybody comes up to her, especially given like that there's this whole fucking thing about her dress, right? This is the first <laughs> yeah. time that she has appeared in public not in like fully black mourning because she like couldn't stand the idea of wearing these like boring mourning dresses, so she picked one that was like gold and black. Um which And people comment on it, but that's about all you get is just like, oh, I see you're not in black. And like that blah, blah, should blah. have, I mean, first of all, I think it's very funny that like the, how long she has to wear mourning is being treated as like something that she can kind of make up her own mind about. Um, yeah. It's like, it seems like the kind of thing that would actually be very formalized in, in most courts, but like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm not above appreciating like a good sort of, oh, I'm making a statement with my dress. Thing, right but it's like well where's the whole ballroom like falling to a hush as they see her come in and they realize that she has moved on from her dead husband like where's the people trying to hit on her now like i'm not saying that it's like appropriate or that like she should uh, uh like that but like uh usually showing that you are not in mourning anymore is like an indication that romantic attention is allowed um and i know that that's and where's Sorry, I'll let you finish. Sorry. Well, I mean, I I, it, I can't tell how, like, I, I know that there's this thing where it's, like, she's always married to Rayadin, so she, like, can never date anyone again. But, like, the idea that that would be treated as, like, an ironclad rule, basically, is weird to me. Um, it seems like she should have gotten romantic attention. Well, and, like, where's Horathan trying to, like, get one over on her rhetorically because she's not in mourning anymore? Like, that feels like a layup opportunity, you know? Yeah. But instead, what he does is he just reminds her, hey, you're pretending to be stupid. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> I mean, he kind of, uh, like, he does burn her a little in that, like, she's trying to use the stupid routine to, like, eavesdrop, and he he fucks up the eavesdropping by mm-hmm. uh, kind of... But but it's sort of like he's the way he fucks up the eavesdropping is by kind of suggesting to Iodon like oh maybe some people are trying to eavesdrop on you Iodon, um, but it's not like Iodon has actually picked up on the fact that Sariti is not stupid you know like her uh, her cover identity is still pretty secure I think <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it would just be... As much as I taunt it every time it happens, like, Hraithan and Sereni trying to get one over on each other all the time is the closest thing to character drama that the book has, and I would appreciate a little bit more of it. Brandon? (laughs) I I also want to remind everyone that this is a teenage girl and a grown-ass man (laughs) having this fucking Chronicle Asher rivalry of wits. (laughs) I just wanted to zoom out and remind everyone that this is like a... 17-year-old girl and, like, Nicolas Cage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Nicolas Cage, who is, like, seven feet tall in blood-red armor with spikes that stick out a foot from his shoulders. Yes. (laughs) And he is, like, being a little bit bitchy to a teen girl at a ball, and that's his big win for the week. I really... I, I comment on this every time that the cover looks like Nicolas Cage, but I cannot stop fantasizing about Nicolas Cage playing Hraithan in this scene. And him just giving a little little wild-eyed, like, eyebrow waggle to her after he, like, ruins her shit in this scene. I'm very down well, for this casting, yeah. And we talked last week about how, like, oh, this is, like, a recurring theme of Brandon's of, like, you know, um teenage girl going to ball with old guy and that's like a and this is like the reverse of it of like teenage girl has rivalry with old guy <laughs> you know yeah all the important just... all the important relationships in serini's life right now are with like middle-aged to elderly men all the positive <laughs> and negative ones yeah yeah in there too right like he's a huge force yeah. in her life her dad Keen. much more than um much more than uh, Ishin is. Like, Ishin is just um, the lady who's actually bimbo, you know? <laughs> God. <laughs> why does she... Why is she into the idea of fencing, I wonder? Because, like... It, I mean, there seems to be this idea that the, the, the court women are all really, like, excited by the idea of fencing. Maybe because it's, like... You know, it's, like, a, a an, an exciting, adventurous thing that they've never gotten to do in their lives and... Serena is making it seem possible. So, like, I, I get that idea. But, like, it's it's weird how, like, uh, h- how much they're like, what? You mean we could pick up a sword? I thought that we'd die. I thought that our pretty little heads would fall <laughs> off if we did that. <laughs> <clears throat> like, they just feel very, um very sheltered in a way that's kind of uniform uh Mm -hmm. and you know perhaps that's the point but it 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 doesn't it's not very good to read it it it's sort of a similar problem to my problem with um the scene where we get introduced to the uncles um which is just that like we're introduced and also the scene where harathan has that um that meeting big like debate dinner um like, where we get introduced to six characters, where maybe you could have, like, one character who kind of represents, like, that sort of, like, here's, like, a type of person who exists in this world, and they're personified by Ishin, who gets, like, more screen time, you know? Yeah, and it's also, like, it would be kind of nice, I think, if, like, we were gonna have this vibe of, like, these, you know, kind of sheltered court ladies who, like, I guess... For whatever reason, Iodon has decided to be a more sexist king than Keen, so, like, the women in his court just, like, don't have a lot of life experience. 
and like Serenity's gonna come in and expose them to stuff. Like you could have that in a way that just felt so much less mean spirited. Um, but you know, I do want to pitch everyone here on um, the thing that my brain just concocted, which is this this like this spun out of like Serenity teaching all these courtly ladies how to fence. But in my brain, when I was trying to imagine what that would look like, it replaced it with a trailer for a, um, uh, who did Grand Budapest Hotel? Uh, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Not, w, <laughs> not Paul W.S. Anderson. No, Wes Anderson. No. I, I was just thinking about, like. Mila Jovovich starring in Serini. <laughs> the Wes oh. Anderson version of a, a court where the new princess teaches all the ladies how to do sword fighting. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> For some reason, that just ran through my head. But anyway. I, I don't have a ton of familiarity with Wes Anderson's work. I know that he has like a very specific aesthetic, but I, I've only ever seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. So He has a very specific a- aesthetic that he often um, applies to like old money New England families in a way that like I could absolutely see him handling the court stuff in Elantris in an interesting way. Uh, sure. Perhaps more interesting than Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Are we ready to talk about Hraithan? I'm ready to talk about Hraithan. This is going to be short. Yeah. Hraithan, Hraithan has one thing he does this week. It's great. Thanks, Hraithan. <laughs> I'm just, I'm feasting. I got all these short chapters. Also, the... The three chapter structure is really working out well as it seems like he'll have like, here's this night that the all occurs at the same time. And mm-hmm. then the next set is this night that yeah. all occur. It's working out better than I expected. Yeah, I, I think the pacing issues that it created that we talked about before are, are, are still real. And I'm not sure that the, the coolness of the like sort of simultaneous night is enough to make yeah. up for that for me. But I definitely agree with you. That effect is like real and good. And it helps our episodes. Sorry, I'll let you talk, Nora. <laughs> Raithan strolls along the Elantrian wall and wonder and ponders about Elantras and feels pity for the Elantrians, even as he plans to exploit them, to unite the Arlene and convert them with as little bloodshed as possible. He wishes to avoid a repeat of the revolution in the Duladel Republic, which weighs heavily on his conscience. Did mention that it was a revolution before. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Raithan meets with Tellery, who is having second, second, dou- second doubts? <laughs> about his alliance with Fjordan since he has heard rumors that Hraithan was connected to the disaster in the Duladel Republic. Hraithan counters by saying Fjordan could easily conquer Arlon if necessary, but that a peaceful conversion is preferable and pledges to put Tellery on the throne. Tellery's doubts are overcome. He warns that Serini could cause problems, but Hraithan dismisses these concerns and thinks to himself that he, she should consider Hraithan an ally instead of an opponent. Hraithan finds out about the Elantrians who had entered the city and bribes a guard captain to secretly bring the next Elantrian intruder to his office instead of Elantris. Is... You you go. Let's talk about revolution. Yeah. Is Fjordel the USSR? I mean... Like, no, because it's a fucking theological empire, but, like... Is... Is... Theocratic is what Fjordel... What... Like... A Mormon in 2005 believes <laughs> the USSR is. Yeah, maybe. Like, I, um, certainly I think because... that, like, this is, uh, this, like, understanding of, like, 
unity as like a uh an ideological goal kind of like well i guess wait right because all the fucking religions love unity but like the specific Mm -hmm. um you know everyone everyone has to you know kind of believe the same thing and and think the same way and and be in lockstep with each other that is like the anti-communist picture of communism um yeah a lot of the time uh well and like because Doolittle seems to have like fallen because of class struggle which then fjordan swoops in to take advantage of like the the lower class overthrowing the upper class uh and fjordan swoops in and like installs theocracy there and it 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 feels like a really dumb understanding of what the USSR was. It's a was. weird USSR slash the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, the line, the first time it comes up, Hraithan is pondering the Elantrians, saying uh, to himself that they deserve pity, not condemnation, but he will make them into like the villains of his story so that he can do what he needs to do to unify Arlon. If he tur- um, it was the easiest and most harmless way. If he turned the people against their government, as he had done in Duladel, there would be death. This way would lead to bloodshed as well, but he hoped much less. Oh, what burdens we must accept in the service of your empire, Lord Jadith, Raythan thought to himself. It didn't matter that he had acted in the name of the church, or that he had saved thousands upon thousands of souls. The destruction Raythan had caused in Duladel ground against his soul like a millstone. People who had trusted him were dead, and an entire society had been cast into chaos. So, but sorry, one last thing, which is, Janeth required sacrifices. What was one man's conscience when compared to the glory of his rule? What was a little guilt when a nation was now unified beneath Janeth's careful eye? Yeah. <sighs> so I, I, it sounds like from this account, and perhaps this is like Hraithan's, uh, you know, self-aggrandizing perspective on it, but he seems to believe that he, pretty much personally caused the revolution in Duladel. Mm-hmm. Um, like, obviously that the class tensions existed for him to exploit such that he could, like, cause that upheaval so that it could be conquered, but, like, um, it doesn't sound like it was, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like the revolution was just gonna happen anyway. At least he doesn't seem to think so. Mm. Yeah. The second time it gets brought up is when Tillery is getting nervous um are you really the one who was assigned to Duladel before it's collapsed um and now you're here Tellery said you wonder why a nobleman is made uncomfortable by that news the entire republican class that ruled Duladel was slaughtered in that revolution and my sources claim that you had a great deal to do with it i would love to know what a republican class is i mean it's not that hard to understand, to me, like, I'm looking at it as, like, this is probably roughly equivalent to, like, the Roman Republic. So you have, like, a, a class okay. of, you know, like, patricians, senators, who are, like, allowed to take elected office, right? So, like, you have something where there's there's voting, but it's not, like, a democracy. And it's not like it's not okay. an aristocratic okay. system. That's what I assume was going on with, with Dula Del. That would make sense. Otherwise, it doesn't one... make a lot of sense that there was a revolution <laughs> in the way that there was. 
There's one other part where he's like, he has, Hraithan is like, oh, I have to be careful because the peasants could turn on the nobles at any time if they're pressed too much. Mm hmm. So he wants little revolution, but not too much. Just some. God. No revolution, only societal upheaval. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about. Um, Fjordan's uh, armies, right? Yeah, yeah. This was the this was the thing that I was gonna segue into and decided not to, which is just the, like another one of uh, Brandon's just one of his things. One of the put, things he likes putting in every book is a uh, evil badass monks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I w- I was thinking about like. Um, Do you want me to turn that yeah. off? Okay, you go. Um, the part where they don't necessarily have a lot of soldiers just under, like, the central command, but they have people in Hravel, in Jador, in Svorden, and the other nations of the east. They're, these are people who have sworn themselves to Durethi. You don't think they would rise up at Wern's command? Like, not saying that like not damn it's not just that the empire has its own army but that every everyone that it's converted will also everyone is here (laughs) yeah i do think it's kind of a weird like i i i get what this is trying to say is that like because fjordan has like converted these countries they are like willing to fight in Fjordan's defense like they have like a political alliance basically but but I kind of thought that these countries were like um actually like conquered by the Fjordal mm-hmm. Empire like I thought that they were actually like territories that the Fjordal Empire like owned um so this is kind of a weird way to talk about that like I don't know it's really unclear to me whether um like the whether Wern actually, you know, owns all the land that he has conquered, or if most of it is just sort of he considers it to be his because it follows Shudereth, but like the actual land is held by other people, or like I don't know. Um, it's also complicated by the fact that this is the perspective of a character who does believe that. Everything that has been converted is just, okay, now you're on our team. Yeah, like, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, how true is this claim that, like, all these nations would just rise up at mm-hmm. Wern's command? Because, and, and if it is true, I don't believe that it's true out of pure religious fervor, right? So it has to be right. because these nations in some way owe fealty to or, like, are subject to Fjordan, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that they... Uh, like, he, the way he's talking about it makes it sound like, oh, all these people just believe in our religion, and so they will come to our defense, but, like, that's not how geopolitics works, like. But it's okay. He doesn't really need armies. Uh-huh. He's got evil badass monks! <laughs> yeah, I, this is so much having your cake and eating it, too, right? You can't be like, oh, yeah, no, we don't have our own huge standing army. We just have all these people we've converted who will fight in our defense. And then it's like, oh, but we also do have, like, secret black ops priest monks. <laughs> <laughs> they know so much kung fu. 
War, Why? assassination, and ellipsis. Other arts. Which... <laughs> I forgot that. That's it's so, so horny to me. <laughs> like, I know it's yeah, not... Uh-huh. I know that, like, for Brandon, he means, like, torture or some shit like that. But I definitely hear that, and I'm like, oh, this is, like... This is getting kind of twisted. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it says, um... Prathen shivered at the thought of the dot 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 monks trained inside the decor monastery, gaining access to the defenseless Aralon. He glanced down at his arm, the place where, beneath his plate armor, he bore the marks of his time there. These were not things that could be explained to Telri, however. What's going on over there? Yeah, mm-hmm. did he have to, like, like get beat up by the badass monks in order to become the Gjorn he is today? <laughs> You know? I'm just saying, it seems like that might have happened. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. <laughs> but it just reminds me of the strategy game Stronghold Crusader. Okay. <laughs> where um, if you build a cathedral, if you build religious structures, people get happy. Mm-hmm. And you can use that because like it's a meter that you can balance so you can be like, oh, hey, you're getting half rations, but you have a cool, like, sick-ass cathedral. So everyone's, <laughs> everyone's fine. Um, the cathedral can spawn monks, mm-hmm. which are fighting units you can use that cost only 10 coins oh. each. Whereas, like, you know, the lowest unit, the smallest unit costs five mm-hmm. up to, like, hundreds. Right. For, like, I think a knight is, like, 250. Okay. But you could just get a shit ton of monks. <laughs> and they're just 300 identical fat guys in brown leather with a quarterstaff. And they're just going to march up <laughs> and twirl their staff at the wall. And it'll bro- it'll slowly break down. And it's just, that's what I'm thinking of. Is that he's going to send... Like thirty identical guys <laughs> in these brown monk robes. It's gonna be red. Yeah, blood red monk robes. <laughs> but otherwise, it's just um, Friar John from Robin Hood. Yeah, basically, but three hundred of them, and trained in war, assassination, and other arts. Other oh, arts. God. It's fencing, actually. It's a weird. It's gonna. It's gonna wrap together. It's uh. It's it's jindo cooking. They're all gonna like shoot the shit about it. With Keen. Um. I assume this is what. Um. I assume that this is what uh Hraithen was talking about with um. What the fuck? What? How the fuck did the last chapter? Oh, last chapter ended with. Him calling Wern and being like, I have a plan for one of the nobles. I assume that plan was, uh, I'm going to put Tellery on the throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would assume. That's kind of what this chapter is. Which would perhaps work better if there was like only one chapter between it. So you were, weren't hanging on the hook that long and you kind of forgot what was going on. <laughs> but if you weren't reading this for a podcast, yeah. you probably wouldn't have been as big of a gap. Yeah, I guess. I was yeah. if I we are a third of the way through this book. If I was not reading it for a podcast, I'd be like, you know, I'm just going to start on Mistborn Era two. Actually, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm ready for some cowboys. <laughs> cowboys with no cows. Yeah, 
What do they rustle? Um, criminal Sions. <laughs> no, in Mistborn. Oh, yeah. It's criminals. Okay. <laughs> the main character is is Comp Matt Mercer. Yeah, he is. <laughs> He's like Sheriff Mercer. <laughs> Yeehaw! Wait, wait. I don't know what that means. <laughs> on the cover of the Mistborn Era two books, on um, some of them, the main character of those books looks like Matt Mercer. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And he's a cowboy. He's like a sheriff. Sure. Uh, He does just look like Matt Mercer. I'm going to drop this in the chat, even though no one listening to the podcast can see the just images I drop in the chat. um, That's okay. I've been dropping uh, quiet images in the chat this whole time anyway. Those are just for us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. can we talk a little bit about the distinction between Shukorath and Shudareth that Hraithen sees? Because we were talking yes. about that like theological yes. distinction last chapter, and I think it might be worth pointing this one out too. Um, he's thinking about Sereni and how you know she's uh, she believes in Shukorath, um, and so she's not gonna uh, believe. He, he he's never gonna be able to convert her. She loathed him mm-hmm. with the irrational hatred of one who subconsciously knew that her own faith was inferior. Karathi teachings had withered in every major nation to the east, just as they would in Erlon and Teod. Shukorath was too weak. It lacked virility. Shudareth was strong and powerful. Like two plants competing for the same ground, Shudareth would strangle Shukorath. So, obviously that is, like, not, like, a theological distinction. It's just, like, him saying, like, my side's good and strong and your side's bad and weak. But, like... Mm-hmm. I think he is expressing something here that does make me want to ask questions about these religions even so, where he's like, they're competing for the same ground. So it's like, okay, do you see Shukorath and Shudareth as like literally competing for resources? Like, do you have this sense that like people on any given Sunday, although, you know, I don't know when he preaches, probably they don't have days of the week in the same way in this setting, but you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Like... Do you, on any given, like, holy day, have that sense of, like, ah, are people going to come to my church or to a Shukorath one? Like, it makes sense, but, like, uh, it's a weird way to think about it because Shukorath and Shudareth seem like totally different religions. It doesn't seem like they would be drawing on the same, like, pool of people or, like, trying to do the same thing by converting people, you know? Um, It feels like a bigger difference than... Like, sometimes sometimes people in the book say things, and it sounds like the difference between, like, baptism and Methodism, and sometimes people say things, and it feels like the difference between, like, Islam and Christianity, like, where it's just, like, yeah. two very different things, you know? Like, I, it's yeah. hard to get... It's hard to imagine the person who is, ta- like, talking over dinner the night before and, like like just casually deciding which church to go to tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Like... And it's weird because this whole, like, conversion thing that he is so invested in is all about convincing people to just step into uh, his his Shudareth church as though it is, like, yeah, just a kind of free choice you could make. But, like, it's, it's, it's not. That's, like, not the role that these religions play in this world. Mm hmm. It's, it's very weird to me. Um... And I think yeah. if we knew a single thing about what these religions actually fucking believe, it might help. Like, if we knew <laughs> yeah. what 
like the actual tenets of Shukoreth are as a faith, then maybe we would know why it's dying out. Like, maybe we could see something about those tenets not appealing to people anymore. Maybe they used to appeal in a past time because conditions were different, right? But, like, we don't know conditions about any Conditions like shit. Elantris. Yeah! Like, you're gonna tell me that actual demigods living on the planet and, like, making free food for everyone didn't influence the religions of the world in any way? <laughs> I mean, it kind of seems like there was an Elantrian religion, which has obviously totally died out. But, like, yeah, it doesn't really seem like Shukorath and Shudareth and Shukeseg were, like, affected by Elantris, and that's very strange. Yeah. Unless Shukorath is somehow the Elantrian thing. I mean, we don't... But I don't... Shukorath is nothing. It's totally empty. It has no content. <laughs> okay, Raythan. <laughs> but also... <laughs> their content it's is also... bad. No one likes their posts. They will die out here as they died out in the East. Look, they've been bleeding followers for months. <laughs> the other thing is... That I agree with everything you're saying, and also, I recognize that, like, what I'm asking for all of a sudden... Brandon has put me in a place where I'm asking for more exposition, and that's not what I want either. But it's possible, it is possible to communicate things about what a faith is and, like, what it believes about the world that isn't just, like, theological exposition, you know? Like, yeah. Like, you feel like you have a pretty good understanding of uh, Ardents? Yeah. The Stormlight Archive? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm, I guess maybe, I guess maybe this book is written such that i have a false dichotomy in my head because um i just personally like my interests i'm not really drawn toward theology um Mm -hmm. and like i think i have it in my head now that like oh writing about religion in books is exposition about theology which is not necessarily true it's just this book is (laughs) does that yeah like Um, i i think that um you know, it would be possible to write, like, a good and an interesting book about, like, competing religions where the emphasis is really not on, like, the explicit sort of theological beliefs of each religion, but more on, you know, the existence of that religion as a social force, uh, how it influences people, like, to think about themselves and to think about other people. But, like, there are gonna be, like, there are gonna be beliefs and 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 theology to that right like so for example if you want to talk about like uh people who strongly believe that like everyone who doesn't believe in their faith is going to hell like that has an effect on how they view people who don't believe in their faith right like that's a right that's a social thing you can talk about that in a way that isn't just about uh like doing some sort of like like Dante from the Inferno listing the details of hell, you know? Um, (laughs) But you do need to know that hell is a thing that people believe in in order to understand that way it affects relationships, you know? Mm -hmm. And we just don't know that sort of shit about any of these. Yeah, it... The book is ostensibly about, like, these competing religions, but, like, only one of these characters feels strongly about his faith. Um, the other two point of view characters don't see, Serene says she feels strongly, but doesn't demonstrate it at any point, you know? She seems, she strikes me as someone who, like, she hates Shudareth because of, like, the horrible colonial violence she's seen it do, 
And so for that reason, she thinks Shukorath is good. But she doesn't seem to have any, like, actual interest in Shukorath. Um, yeah, exactly. Which is fine. Like, she doesn't have to, but but it's frustrating when it means that we just don't know anything about it. It's also hard to imagine just a religion existing in the world that hasn't done colonial violence, you know? And so it's hard to invest on invest in it on that level of, like, oh, yeah, I totally believe you, Sereni, that um, your religion is the good one, you know? Like, I just don't believe that. Yeah, your religion <laughs> is the one that, like, your father, the king, follows, and it, like, it, you know, perhaps it isn't baked into his government in quite the same way that Shudareth is baked into the Fjordal government, but, like, your people are a Shu Karathi people, and, like, your people's system of government is evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Does that does that do it for no. for Hraithan? Oh God, oh God, no! We have to talk about the end of the chapter. What's the end? Of <laughs> oh God, I forgot about this. Fetch me a man. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's Raiden. If it's not, I'm gonna be so pissed. It would be so boring <laughs> for it to be anyone else. <sighs> um, for listeners who may have forgotten this part, as I did. Um, at the end of the chapter, uh, Hraithan goes and meets with a guy and is like, hey, if any more Elantrians try to escape, um, bring them to me, because I want to, like, question them for theological reasons or whatever. Um, which is just setting up a plot point that I assume will pay off in a chapter or two for Hraithan, but, yeah, I just hope it's Raiden, because anyone else is boring. <laughs> it, it does I seem guess Karada is interesting, maybe. I do think it's more than possible that it's just going to be a rando and he's going to be doing like magical experiments on that person. And that's going to be the point yeah. that he is like testing what the Elantrian state is. And like, I have some interest in that, but it is very frustrating when like, I would prefer if the main characters of this novel met and interacted <laughs> compared to like magic exposition. <laughs> <laughs> they already new type flashed. It's time. Yeah. yeah. Like, Harithan is literally wearing red. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and also just like, it would just drive the plot in a more interesting way. Oh, interesting. You know? The, the... If, if Raiden, because I assume... Right now we've got Raiden is trying to build up Elantris, try to build some sort of infrastructure so that people aren't hungry all the time. And it would be interesting if he made a chapter of progress on that and then is taken away from Elantris, you know? And all of a sudden people don't have their good king. And what happens next? I don't think that's <laughs> what's going to happen. Yeah. 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 Or it'll be somebody that Raiden will turn against Raiden. Yeah, that could also be interesting if he gets Karada. Karada starts sneaking out once a week to go see her kid, and he gets Karada, and um, like she says, like, "Oh, Raiden, the who was once the crown prince, did blah 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 blah." Um, that would be interesting. That could create a plot. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's just at last. We have come to the end of our chapters. <laughs> How are we feeling? Doing good? I just have to believe he's just building steam for something that is going to make it 
if not all worth it, at least, like, make me happy in the end. Yeah, like, if the last six chapters of this book are fucking sick, that'll be, like, I, that'll be great, hopefully. But we're a third of the way through this book. Yeah. I was, I was, um, fiddling around with the spreadsheet this week of, like, I think I've just settled, like, we're just gonna read three chapters of every book, you know, every week. But anyway, um, I was fiddling around with it, I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna be reading Elantris for, like, a pretty long time, but also, we're a third of the way through the book already, you know? Like, maybe not that long. Are we? Because we're on fi chapter 15, aren't there 60 chapters? Yeah, but the chapters are gonna get way shorter and quicker, is the thing. And then we have the extra stuff. Yeah, we have the whole... Did you count the epilogue as a chapter? Uh, yes. Okay. I did. Because after that, we have deleted scenes and then the Mad Prince. And the Hope of Elantris. That's a different thing. Okay. That's a novella. Yeah. It's a totally different... That's Short not story. in this book. Short story, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, what is this? Week five? Yeah. Hope of Elantris? We're still hitting that two-hour mark. <laughs> we're still hollering and hooting. Mm -hmm. I think we're gonna continue to find stuff to holler and hoot about throughout this book. I, 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 th I think, I think that's, that's just what this book's gonna be. Yeah, yeah. And then at some point, uh, we'll be hooting and hollering about whole new things. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's life. Um, Tilly, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Char Asnablunt, uh, and you can check out my other podcast, Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements, uh, which is on the Abnormal Mapping Network, and we read Moby Dick. Uh, I put out a promo video today for the episode that's coming out tomorrow, uh, which is just Ben reading a really sick speech that Ahab gives about, like... It's so good. Yeah, it's just <laughs> Ahab being like... Listen, this is what I'm trying to do here with this Moby Dick thing. I'm basically trying to punch <laughs> God in the face. Uh, and Ben just read that aloud and I put like a um, uh, a metal song about Moby Dick underneath it. And uh, I'm pretty pleased. <laughs> Looking forward to, I hope people like that episode. If you're listening to this um, when it comes out, then... A new episode of Journal Updated will have just dropped Hell on abnormalmapping.com, uh, where we talk about Death of the Outsider. And I just yelled for like 10 minutes about how that game could have been a much cooler story. Um, and complain about how they just changed what the characters are so they could tell a different story. Uh, it's still a fantastic video game. Mm -hmm. But. You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. You can find the stuff I do at norablake.online. Um, join the Abnormal Mapping Discord server, and you will find an export chat yeah. uh, channel. And that is the closest you'll ever get to an export audio Discord for audience members. I am really I've excited. been reading every message that's posted there, so... I'm super excited yeah. for when, you know, the first episode of Arcanum drops... With that being a thing. Yeah, um, that's going to be fun. I want people, like, reacting to the episode. Yeah, I hope so. Like, or I reacting mean, to the book. <laughs> like, I, ho I hope somebody out there is is uh, having emotions about Elantris the way I am. And the way y'all are. <laughs> uh, is Elantris our shared? 
It's by the end of this. We're all gonna have suffered so much pain that it's like we're not alive anymore. We're gonna we're gonna start the final episode of Elantris by saying there's some hoeds in this house. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, also in the Discord is a, a pinned message. I have a pinned tweet on my Twitter uh, that'll take you to the Patreon that supports this podcast, that supports a bunch of other podcasts. Um, I mentioned this on the export that went up on Sunday, but um, I had a, like, uh, I spilled coffee on a computer, and it's broken. Um, And fans of, like, the podcast sent in about $1,100 in 12 hours, which I didn't ask for at all. People just did that, and it was fucking incredible. And enabled us to get a new computer which will make recording podcasts uh easier uh yeah yeah um thank you for listening to ours arcanum this is the end of the episode now i'm doing the sign-off ramble that autumn always just stares at me while i do May your heart be your guiding key. May your heart be your guiding key. (laughs) Kain. 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 (laughs) I'm just going to turn off the recording.